Welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. We're in the book of Luke this morning, chapter number one. Last week we were in Matthew chapter 1. There are two gospels that give the account of the birth of Jesus, Matthew being one, Luke being the other. Last week, if you were here, we looked at Matthew's announcement or text that announces the angel's um, appearance to Joseph announcing the birth of Jesus. And I'm a... I like to think that I have a, um, a pretty colorful, animated imagination. And when I think of especially the nativity and what scripture is very clear to us is how all of this transpired, I can only, I can't help but imagine what it must have been like for Joseph as we talked about last week to be confronted by a messenger of God, the angel of the Lord, and to hear the words he heard. And now, today in Luke, to put ourselves as the proverbial fly on the wall and watch, witness the angel of the Lord appear to Mary. Out of the blue, this wasn't something she was prepared for, and to be introduced to a messenger of God with the message of God that she's about to hear. And so today, I want us to look at that. If you want to stand as we honor God's word, we're going to look at verse 26 through 38 as we acknowledge this announcement to Mary. And in the sixth month... That's not June, that's the sixth month of cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy. The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, anybody remember last week, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said to her, fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end." Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee, some other translations are a little nicer and say the holy one, not the holy thing, that thing inside of you, the holy one inside of you shall be called the Son of God. And behold, your cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. There's a little one sentence, one verse sermon in this two-hour sermon, and this is it. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
There's some people, and this is gonna sound a little um, name it and claim it, there's some people in church today and in churches all over who need to be reminded that with God nothing shall be impossible. He's either God or he's not. He's either sovereign or he's not. He's either omnipotent or he's not. And with him nothing, no thing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid, the servant of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed from her. Father, we thank you for your word, for this text. God, help us believers who have been in church since before we were born to not look at this text and say, well, here's another Christmas sermon I was ready for. Help us to look at this text through your eyes with the help of your Holy Spirit and see who Jesus really is. We ask this in his name, amen. You may be seated. Last week we started this Christmas series, if you will, entitled The King is Coming. And the idea is that through these first few weeks before Christmas, we look at the text in scripture where there's an announcement that a king is coming. Of course, I don't have to remind you, maybe some would need to be reminded, but that the Jews were looking for their king. The Jewish nation had been under bondage since the very beginning in some way, shape, or form. They're looking for their Messiah. They're looking for their king. It's not really in my notes, but it's good to be reminded the context. They were not looking for baby Jesus to be their king. They were looking for a, a man, a man who was above other men. They were looking for a warrior king. They were looking for a political king. They were looking for a financial king. They were looking for someone to take over the throne of David, to release them from their bondage, to put them on the, the center stage of the world the way God had promised that would happen. But yet, this king who is being announced was quite different than what they had expected. And not to make it any more complicated, the announcement of this different type of king came to two different types of people. Joseph, last week, I won't rehash that. But today, Mary. We've heard, most likely through our lives, the, the story of the nativity. We've heard about Mary, we've got ideas about Mary. Uh, yesterday, there was a, one of our ladies here was blonde and dressed up uh, over with the shepherds and somebody said something about Mary. I said, that can't be Mary because there's archeological DNA evidence that she was a brunette. And the person I said that to said, really? <laughs> I didn't know they could do that. Oh, they can do anything with DNA these days. We know she was about five foot four. We, no, that's a joke. We know she was brunette. What we do most likely know based on history and tradition is that she was young, probably a teenager. Ain't happening in my house. But... <laughs> She was most likely a teenager based on uh, first century Jewish tradition and how they would marry early. We know where she's from. She's from this obscure little village called Nazareth, which really in those days wasn't much and today still isn't much. Matter of fact, my first trip to the Holy Land, uh, Nazareth is like on the, the west side, like you don't... You don't don't want to offend anybody. It's kind of like Salisbury downtown. Um, that, was, that was not nice. Um, city council wouldn't be happy with that. But the, um, when we went, the first time I went to the Holy Land, they said, okay, we're going to go by Nazareth. And like, we stopped on this hillside and it was like, there it is down there. Hey, that's good. Because it's not the most um, king-born place that you could imagine. It wasn't then either. It's this small town. As a matter of fact, history uh, tells us that there were uh, a large Gentile population in Nazareth, which wasn't very kosher to the Jews. And so anybody from Nazareth was kind of mixed with the Gentiles and really didn't like them. And so there's a lot we could say about Mary. And so it's also interesting 
are worth noting that this announcement to Mary uh, as Jesus is about to be born is intentional in Luke, and there's, there's a lot to be said kind of behind the scenes. Luke, we know, was a doctor. Luke says more about the birth and the humanity of Jesus than anyone else. By the way, in case I forget, she was virgin. She had never been with a man. And um, if anybody would know how that works, it would be a doctor. And he covers that pretty clearly. And today there's some doctors who can't figure this out. But um, Luke had it straight back then. And it is important to understand. But Luke writes, and he's writing to more of a, a Gentile audience. And he speaks more of the humanity of Jesus, where Matthew speaks more of the royalty of King Jesus. But in this message, this announcement to Mary, I want us to look at three points that I think are very clear in this text that really bring out, as I said when I prayed, who Jesus is. And if we're not careful, even as believers, we'll read the nativity, we'll know the nativity, We'll read Matthew, we'll read Luke, or we'll let Charlie Brown do it for us in Luke chapter two, and then we'll just say, oh, isn't that a sweet story? But there, and it is a sweet story. But we can't miss the doctrine, the theology, the reality in these texts as to who Jesus really is. I don't know if you've heard this lately, but when it's all said and done, what will matter is who you say Jesus is. When this world winds down, when the king does come again for the final time and set up his eternal kingdom, what will matter is who is Jesus to you? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is up, uh, he's on a mountaintop or on the mountainside most likely. He calls the disciples and he asks the disciples, this is kind of in the, the height of his ministry, there's a lot of buzz in town. And in Matthew 16, he calls them up at this area, and he says, um, who do men say that I am? And they say, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah. By the way, John the Baptist had his head cut off so he'd come back from the dead. Some say you're Elijah, you're one of the other prophets. And I love what Jesus does. He doesn't even acknowledge who they say other people say Jesus is. He looks at them and he says, but who do you say I am? Church, believer, maybe an unbeliever, it is. When it winds down, it doesn't matter what everybody else says about Jesus. It matters what you say about Jesus. And in this text, in the birth narratives, we see clearly in the announcement from God who Jesus really is. First, I want us to look at this predicament that Mary finds herself in. I wrote in my notes, what a predicament. She's a teenager. She's in Nazareth. She's never been with a man sexually. She's engaged, as we learned last week, legally bound to marry this man. And out of nowhere, what is she doing in your mind? You don't have to answer it out loud. I don't know what she's doing. Washing dishes, washing clothes, petting a dog. I don't know what she's doing. And an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, shows up to her and announces what we already know is about to happen. What a predicament she found herself in. Her cousins, six months into her pregnancy. Here's this, most likely based on the area she's from, poor teenage girl, engaged and about to be told, you're gonna be pregnant and you're gonna have the Son of God. Let that sink in a second. And there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of messages behind the message in this text. And think about how many times we've read a text or we've heard a message where it just didn't make sense. Hard to believe. And imagine that times a bazillion Mary being told, you're about to become pregnant with the Son of God. How that must have been slightly difficult to wrap her mind around. This is the same angel that appeared to Zacharias just earlier in the chapter. Gabriel, messenger of the Lord, 
This is important to understand because this is a message straight from God. This is God speaking to her. And the first thing I want us to notice about this predicament, which I think is overlooked quite often, is that Mary was called by God. The angel came to her and said, verse 28, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. Now, I don't mean to do what could potentially happen in this little portion of this sermon. But there are some people in the religious world who will be offended by the reality in this text. Mary was a sinner just like you and I are sinners. Ooh. Anybody already offended? This is important to understand. One of the best songs ever been written, one of my favorite songs ever is Mary, Did You Know? I like Mary. I don't have anything against Mary. But for us to understand who Jesus is, we have to also understand who Mary was. Joseph gets a bad rap, kind of. Mary was highly favored. Joseph, you had nothing to do with this, right? But it's important for us to understand that Mary was a sinner because none are righteous, no, not one. We're all born into sin, and she was a sinner. She was not sinless. She was not perfect. Yet she was highly favored, and she was chosen by God. There's a message of the gospel in the selection of Mary to bring salvation to the world. She was just like you. She was just like me. Yet she was highly favored by God. What does that mean? It's important for us to understand what this highly favored means. It means she was full of grace. Grace was fully laid on her. She was a sinner. She was not perfect. Now, I just time out. I think she was a believer. I think she was solid. And I think she was sold out to God. Because I don't believe God seeks out, now I'm not going to say that, I'll mess some people's theology up. But I believe she was sold out and she was a believer. I believe she trusted God that he would send the Messiah. I think she was Christian. But God called her out and said, you're highly favored. Not because you're better than everybody else. This is where people get a little perturbed. But we have to understand this. It says that she was blessed not above women, but among women. If you don't hear anything else, that's a good place to, she was not like, oh, you're better than the rest of the women. No, you're blessed among women. You are chosen, you were highly sought out, and grace was poured upon you because you needed grace to do what's about to happen. She was called by God, and she experienced God's undeserving grace on her life in order to do what she was called to do. Mary should be honored, there's no question, but she should never be worshiped. There's only one person ever been born who's worthy of worship, and that's the sinless Savior. She, just like us, was called out by God, and grace was bestowed or laid on us, not of anything we deserved, but by God's grace and grace alone, she was called out by God. Now, it's also interesting to remember or to notice that she was confused by the greeting. I kind of chuckled when I wrote that. This, um, the, the word there in the King James is salutation. I don't know how many of you come across that. Hey, salutation's a greeting. Some of you might have heard that in the first, but it's, it's a greeting. It's a, what's up? But what does he say? Hell. <laughs> That's not usually how you like to start a sentence. Some of you might do that tomorrow, but not in that way. She was troubled at his greeting, his salutation. In verse 29, when she saw him, the angel, him, this warrior angel, not, you got it last week, she was troubled at his saying. She wasn't really troubled at him necessarily, but what he said. It's kind of funny to read it the way it's actually written. Her thought was, that's a weird way to say hey. She was troubled at his 
manner of salutation, his greeting. What was the greeting? Hell, thou art highly favored. Grace has been poured upon you. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Whoa, whoa. where did that come from? How about a, how you been doing? It's hot outside. But this was the greeting. And she was confused by it. She was perplexed by it. She was kind of shaking her head at how he would greet her this way. This is also interesting to note. She didn't think she was highly favored. She didn't think, oh, I've been waiting on the day where God would select me to bring the Messiah into the world. She was confused by this. She was perplexed. You would choose me for this job? What kind of greeting is this? She knew who she was. She knew she was just a young, potentially poor teenager from small town Nazareth. And I said in this text, the gospel is clear throughout this introduction. If you're born again today, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, according to the word of God, it's because nothing you did, it's everything he did. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You were just hanging out in little old Nazareth, or little old Landis, or little old Kannapolis, or little old Concord, or wherever, Podunk, USA, and God, in his grace and his mercy, called you out and poured his grace on you, and your thought should be, what manner of greeting is this? Who am I? that God would love me while I'm yet a sinner, a nobody from nobodyville, and he would call me out to salvation and to serve him. That's what she's confused about. Why me, Lord? What's so good about me, Lord? And the answer is nothing is good about you, Lord. Mary, Dean, your name, nothing's good. None righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That should be our response. Listen, church, that should be the believer's response to their salvation is, why me, God? Why would you love me so much? And in our question, it reminds us of who God is and who we are and that it's all about him. It's all about his love. It's all about his grace. It's all about his mercy. It's all about what he did so that you could receive, so that I could receive salvation. And she knew that. She's perplexed by it. She's in a predicament. And in this announcement, we also see second, the person of Jesus. The answer to her question, if you will, is who Jesus is. In verse 31, we see that Jesus is the Savior. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. We heard that last week in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel appeared to Joseph and said, She shall bring forth a son, shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Savior, the Savior, the only Savior, the only way, the only truth the only life, no man comes to the Father except through him. Yesterday, it's uh, overwhelming, it's a privilege, it's, uh, I trusted everybody that had any conversation or felt like we did anything worthwhile yesterday is overwhelmed that God would allow you to serve him, quite honestly. I mean, I think about that often. I think about how I know me, and I'm worthless. Somebody say amen, you're worthless. No, you know, that's... Like, I know me, but God would use me. Do you ever think about that? Yesterday, if you had a good conversation with somebody and you made them feel good or you you told them some good news or you gave them a present and they smiled and you're like, man, I did something good. May you be reminded in that that there's nothing good in you, but it's only him. And that he would let you do anything for him. He's holy. He's perfect. He's sinless. And we're not. May we be humbled and may we be happy 
to serve him, knowing that he called us to serve him and that we're not worthy to do it. When I was able to kind of preach for 10 to 15 minutes, how did that happen? Somebody said it and I heard it. Um, I was reminded when I prepared some, I did have some notes, but that why we must be saved. The world needs to know why we must be saved. And Jesus came to be the savior. That word, the word, the name Jesus we heard last week means savior. And when he, when he was announced, when Jesus was announced to Joseph, he said, call him Jesus for he shall what? Save his people from their sins. We live, I think I mentioned this Wednesday night, we live in a different generation. Us old folks have just got to figure this out. See how I included myself in that? Unfortunately, we don't live with Christian generations behind us anymore. I don't mean they're all Christian. Like in our generation, we weren't all Christian, obviously. But we live with people younger than most of the people I'm looking at who have no idea the words we use. Saved. Didn't say, I'm old school. I didn't say we should stop saying saved because the word of God uses saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when we ask somebody, hey, are you saved? Today they may say, what's that mean? Or saved from what? And it's important when we share the gospel that people know what they're saved from. He shall save his people from their sins. I've I feel like, I'm gonna use a good old-fashioned word, I've harped on this since I've been the pastor. When we talk about the gospel, when we preach the gospel, when we teach the gospel, people have to know why they need to be saved. There are people that have slept on church pews for years that hadn't figured out why they need to be saved. Well, I'm not bad enough. And must us us Pharisees say, no one surely believes that way. Yeah, there are people that think, I've not done enough bad to need to be saved. And that's not the problem. The problem is you were born. The problem was you were born into sin. You were born into sin's bondage. You were born separated from God. If you were born of a man and of a woman, which is still how it happens, you were born into sin. And you need salvation. You were born in, under God's condemnation for sin. You were born at enmity, an enemy with God. And the world needs to hear that. It's not because you're a bad person. We're all bad people. It's not because you're just a low-down sinner. We're all low-down sinners because we were born into it. And people need to understand. And yesterday, three different times, and maybe people heard it for the first time and responded to the good news because it is good news, especially when you never heard it before. Wrong with a lot of hard-hearted Baptists is they've heard it all their life, and it means nothing to them. If you've ever had a transformation happen in your life, it means something to you, because you understand what happened. He will save his people from their sins. I asked this question yesterday. I asked the question today, what's so bad about sin? Well, the, the price for sin is death. The wages of sin, according to Paul's writings in Romans, is death. The punishment, the wages, the price for sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Jesus, God told Adam and Eve, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And guess what? They started dying physically. But it was a, it was a, a different death. Also, it was their spiritual death. God made a way even in Genesis chapter three. And he showed us a picture of a sacrificial, a sacrifice for them and for their sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is Savior. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord Whoever calls on him believing that he is who scripture says he is shall be saved. This text also teaches in this announcement that he's not only savior, but that he is the son of God. Verse 32, he shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. 
And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Notice the first. He shall be called the son of the highest. You don't need this for Bible study purposes, but there's only one highest. And it's God. And Jesus shall be called the son of the highest. The son of God. Though Jesus had earthly parents, he was sent by God. He was, according to John 1, verse 14, he was God in the flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah, we, we love our nativity sets. Some people love Mary more than they should. And I kind of am fond of Joseph. He had earthly parents, but he was the son of God. He was the son of the highest. In verse 35, we see the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. Therefore also this holy thing, this holy one, which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. Look at that, look at the verse 35. The Holy Ghost will come upon you. The power of the highest shall overshadow you. The Holy One that is born of you shall be the Son of God. Yeah, he had parents. But he was God's son. Jesus avoided the sin nature of man by being born of God. I don't want to mess you up too much this close to Christmas, but we like to say or hear, well, he didn't have an earthly father because he would have been sinful if that would have happened. Most people agree with that and we just roll with it. But wouldn't having an earthly mother make him sinful too? Don't, don't, don't answer. Write, write me a letter and sign it and we'll talk about that later. The Levitical law, which is fun, we're going to start that in the new year so we'll increase attendance. No. The Levitical law actually said that when a woman, a woman was considered unclean when she had had a baby because she brought sin into the world. Okay? In Psalm 51, the psalmist said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm not going to hang out here a while. But Mary was a conduit to deliver the Son of God. Oh, I feel it. I feel it. Y'all feel it? Okay. Jesus didn't begin to exist in Bethlehem. He was with God from the very beginning. Now, I don't have a family photo before creation to prove it. But I have text in the scriptures to prove it. So how do you know it's true? Well, that's up to you. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But Jesus was in the beginning, and even the plan of salvation was in the beginning before the foundation of the world, and Jesus was a part of that plan because he existed. The sinlessness of Jesus. If you haven't heard this, hear it today is essential to him being not only the son of God, but to be in our savior. In his sinless perfection, Jesus was the only qualified sacrifice for the sin of the world. And because he was the son of God, and not the son of Mary and Joseph, once again, please don't, please don't leave here hating me today. They still had a relationship. I can only imagine what that relationship must have been like. We don't know what happened to Joseph. We don't hear anything else about Joseph. Since him and Mary, once they lost Jesus, maybe that was the end of Joseph. We don't know. We have nothing else about Joseph, but we do have some more about Mary and Jesus. And it's a sad story. They had a relationship. I can only imagine how unique the relationship was. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip to something because I felt like I was hurting some people's feelings, and I'm going to try to help you out. I read something this week, and a thought hit my mind, and I had never thought of it before. When you think about the relationship with this human, Mary, who birthed the Son of God, let's just take a quick, maybe two-minute time out and think about this. 
Mary, who had never been with a man, who was a follower of God, I believe she was a wholesome girl. I believe she was trying her best to please God. She's engaged to a good man, a just man, Matthew tells us. They're doing things the right way. They're trying to please God together. He's a hard worker. She's from Nazareth, the ghetto, trying to make it work. They both get this message. She's gonna be pregnant. Church, we read this like it's a Hallmark Christmas, and it's not. This is, this is not the greatest news she's ever heard. How's she gonna convince her husband? We see how that happens. But here's a thought maybe you've never thought before. Mary was pregnant for nine months. Mary was ridiculed for her whole life. Not just in, until Jesus was born, it wasn't. Hark the herald angels sing, Mary, you got off the hook. This lady who had never committed adultery in the world's eyes was belittled, made fun of, ridiculed, and maybe exiled from community for her life until maybe the day Jesus rose from the dead. And some believed. 33 years of her life, 34 if you add nine months close to it, she lives her life shunned, made fun of. Look at that liar. People didn't believe this. You wouldn't believe it. Me and Joseph never did anything. This is God's baby. And for her whole life, raising him. You imagine how Jesus must have been shunned? Church, let's, let's get out of the 21st century for a second. All the garbage that we let happen today is just normal, didn't happen then. Well, it didn't happen 20 years ago either, but that's a different story. Oh, out of wedlock, babies, living together. Ah, it's just a thing, you know, get tax breaks, have some more, whatever. That wasn't the accepted behavior in the first century or in the first part of most of our lives. But this was not, oh, look at me, I'm gonna be the, the father and mother of the son of God. They were condemned by family, by friends, by community. Yeah, there was a relationship. Yeah, she was a special girl, a special lady. And then we see her at the cross, by the way, watching her son rip to shreds. Her son that was raised in her house by her but yet he was the son of God. She was not bringing a sinner into the world. God was bringing a perfect, sinless savior into the world and using her to do it. He was savior, he was the son of God, and this text teaches us that he is sovereign king. And the Lord shall give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. In this announcement, we see this truth, this prophecy, this reality, that baby Jesus is the eternal, sovereign king. He wasn't king because of his lineage. He was king because he was God. Most historians tell us that both Joseph and Mary were a descendant of the line of David. But he wasn't the king of the throne of David because he was of the lineage of Joseph and Mary. He was king and is king and will return as king because he is God. He is sovereign. This is who Jesus is. The Jews didn't even acknowledge him as king. We know when he was crucified, they mocked him. Here's the king of the Jews. People didn't believe that he was king. And here's the reality of the gospel. He is king. He was born king. He is king, and he will return as king. You have a choice. I have a choice. The world has a choice, just like the Jewish nation had a choice, to make him king or to say he's not king. Make him lord of your life or to say he's not lord 
of your life. That's the choice that we have. The king is coming. We see it in Matthew and Luke, and we know it as a believer that he's coming again. We see this predicament she's in. We see the person in last. I want us to look at verse 34, if I have time, and I do, to see a really important reality of the power of God. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? This is important to understand. She wasn't doubting God. If you, even the language insinuates she wasn't questioning or doubting that God could do it. Listen, listen to what she says. How shall this be, knowing, seeing that I know not a man? She didn't say this can't be. She said, how shall this be? See the difference? That's a lesson for us. We respond to God, yeah, we're gonna doubt sometimes. Yeah, we won't fully understand how this is gonna happen, but it's not, God, this can't happen. It's God, how will this happen? It's a different question to ask. She's a believer. She trusts in God. How will this happen, seeing I know not a man? In this, in her perplexity, in her confusion, she asked this question, and God's answer is, listen, his answer is, ultimately, God can do anything, but her answer is this, she doesn't know. We knew because y'all were here last Sunday that Elizabeth's pregnant. She didn't know her cousin Elizabeth was pregnant. She knew her cousin Elizabeth was barren, and she knew Zacharias was an old man. But Jesus, God says, behold your cousin Elizabeth. She's also conceived a son in her old age, and is now in the sixth month, who was called barren. And then verse 37, see that was a, that was a precursor to how this shall happen. God, how can this happen? See, and I know not a man. Well, let me tell you this. The messenger says, Elizabeth's pregnant. That probably piqued her interest. Really? That'll be interesting. I'm gonna go visit. And she does. Some things happen there too. In verse 37, the messenger of God says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. That for is a connection to what's said in verse 36, that Elizabeth's gonna have a baby, and it was only made possible by God. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. May we as believers never forget, wherever we're at in our life, whatever we're going through in our life, whatever struggle we're having, whatever doubt we're having, whatever need we have, that nothing is impossible with God. In Matthew chapter 19, I love this passage, by the way, because it's got a lot of press over the years. In Matthew chapter 19, the disciples are hanging out with Jesus, and this, what we know as in our study Bibles, the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and says, hey, I wanna follow you. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, follow the commandments, which is kind of weird. This, I'm gonna preach that, but it's kind of weird how he said it. But he knew this guy's heart and his mind, so he's gonna cover, he's gonna cover his bases. Follow the commandments. The guy said, I've done that since I was born, liar. He hadn't, but he said, I've done it since I was born. I've been raised upright, done it. And Jesus says, well, sell everything and give it to the poor. Y'all know this passage? I'll preach it next week if you haven't. No, you know it. Sell everything, give it to the poor, and the guy walks away sorrowful, Bible says because they had a lot of stuff. I truly believe, I've said it before, I don't believe God expected him to sell everything. I expected him to say, yeah, I'll sell it. And he would have said, keep it, follow me. I think so. I hope so. I could be wrong. But I think I'm right. He walks away sorrowful because he had a lot of stuff. And just like all the deacons, I mean disciples, they started <laughs> yapping. No, I'm just kidding. We got good deacons here. They, they, um, they asked this question out loud. Well, if, oh, I'm sorry, I gotta miss this part. Jesus heard them kind of chattering, and he says, I tell you, it's tough for a rich man to get to heaven. And they're all looking. Then he says, it's easier, here's, the fun, here's, here's where the press comes from, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. And the world explodes with Twitter and, you know, what does that mean? Is that a real camel getting into a real eye of a needle? Because I don't think that can happen. <laughs> but if you've ever been to the church of the nativity, you'll see the eye of a needle. It's a little door. 
You have to creep in like this. A camel can get in, but it's difficult. It was difficult for me to get in, but I can't wait. Some of you, some of our people. Here's, here's Jesus, here's the question, and what does he say? Y'all know it? With man, it is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. I, I hope we understand as a believer that with God and only with God was our salvation possible. In man's world, in man's eyes, that ain't happening. In man's eyes, there ain't no way that guy's getting saved. In man's eyes, she's far too gone for salvation. Do you know what she's done all her life? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible because of his power. Jesus is God. We need to be reminded, church, that he is omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. And he can do anything. Do you believe that? He is God. Barry, if you want to come, you can, but there's another verse here that I want us to look at as we conclude. Verse 38 Mary said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Handmaid was the lowest of servants. She said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. I want you to listen to the next sentence. Be it unto me according to thy word. The angel departed from her. I, for a second, laid out what Mary might have went through for 33 years of her life. She knew what was going to happen. She had to know that this was not going to be all fun and games. I don't know how much we thought about it when we got saved, if you got saved, but since you've been saved, since you've been born again, if you're born again, you thought about how different your world is going to be once you make Jesus Lord of your life and how things change tremendously. Maybe you didn't think about it until you thought about it. Maybe you teenager, you young adult, you didn't think about it until you started living right and say, oh, this has some effects. This is complicated. I gotta live differently. I gotta be salt and light, and I'm trying to be, and people don't get all warm and fuzzy about that sometimes. Mary knew this was not gonna be an easy road. But her response ought to motivate us to respond in the same way. When we don't understand, we say, behold your servant according to your word. God, you're asking me to do something. I'll be your servant according to your word. You're calling me to salvation. I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy. I don't understand it. But according to your word, I'm your servant. Is he calling you to do something? Here, here's something I think happens in churches all over America today that's different. God's calling people to serve him and they're just, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm good, God. I think God still wants people to go to the mission field and preach and teach the gospel. You don't see a lot of it anymore. You don't see a lot of young people saying, God's calling me to mission field. I think he is. I think there's a lot of people saying, uh, not according to your word. There are people God is calling to serve him every day. May we respond and say, I'll be your servant according to your word. No, I don't understand it. I'm just a nobody from nowhereville, but you've called me and according to your word, I'll do it. And if you're saved today, that's what he did for you. And if you really got saved, and if you're really born again, your response was, according to your word, I'll be your servant. And that means when it gets tough, you say, according to your word, I'm still your servant. This means when you don't understand, according to your word, be your servant. Would you stand with me as we pray? If you're a believer here today, 
May you be encouraged to respond that same way according to your word. I'll trust you. Don't understand it. Kind of got me confused, and I know there's going to be some negative consequences, but I'll trust you according to your word. I'll be your servant. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved. Maybe for the first time you've realized that Jesus is the Savior and he came to save you from your sins. If you die, that's a tough word to say, but if you die still in your sins, you will die two deaths. You'll die physically and you'll die spiritually in separation from God forever, according to the word of God. He didn't come just to save us, to give us a good job and give us a lot of money and good big houses and cars. He came to save us from our sins. He didn't come to save us from the government and the corruption of it. He came to save us from our sins. If you've never trusted him for salvation, then you've never been saved from your sins. And you can do that today. Father, I pray some lost person today sees themselves, as your word says, lost in their sins and in need of salvation. May they be reminded, may they be aware today that you allowed Jesus to pay the price for our sins. When he died on the cross, paid the sin debt, and today they can have salvation if they trust in your son Jesus as the forgiveness and payment for their sins. And may us believers be reminded and encouraged of what you've done for us and who you are and who we are. May we serve you as Mary said, I'll be your servant and I'll do according to your will. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.